Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devinder Hardwar. I'm Reviews Editor Sherlyn Lowe. Today, it's all about Mars once again. Uh, we're going to be chatting about the Mars Perseverance rover. It just landed on the Red Planet this week, and we brought on a very cool guest, Sophia Gadnazer, to chat about this landing, what it means, why it's so special, and what is going to be going on with this mission in the future. As always, if you're enjoying the Engadget podcast, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes, and uh, you can always email us at podcast at Engadget.com. So let's talk about the Mars Perseverance rover, which just landed this week. And to chat about that, we brought on a tremendous guest, somebody whose videos I've been watching for a while now uh, on TikTok and all over. Uh, we have PhD candidate Sophia God Nasser. How are you doing, Sophia? I'm doing great. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And, um, you know, let's just say up front, um, who are you? What do you do? I, I think you're a very good presenter of scientific information, but how do you approach your, you know, what are you working on on the internet these days? Oh, so on the internet, I do um, a lot of science communication and uh, anywhere spaces. I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty much there just because I love this stuff so much. But um, in my work, I work on like the really sort of spooky side of the universe. I work on dark matter. <laughs> okay. All right. Nice. And I know you've been a scientific, you've been a science advisor to some shows, right? Like 12 Monkeys? Yes, I have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, your work is out there. So my first question for you um, is, uh, what can you tell us what is so important about the Mars Perseverance rover and this mission Overall, because uh, we just had the the Curiosity rover landed almost a decade ago now. Um, what is special about this, and how is it different from Curiosity? Yeah, so this is a this is an important question, I think, and it's a, it's a question that a lot of people have because we have just, as you said, landed um, not too long ago another rover on Mars, um, and every rover landing that we have is a huge feat, mind yeah. you, because it's really hard to do this stuff. But with perseverance, I I call it like a mission of the future because. It has experiments on on it that are preparing Mars for humans to come. So it's preparing for astronauts to land on the planet. And so that's why I call it a mission of the future. And that's why it's so important. And it's also going to look for signs of past life on Mars as well. So it's a really, really big mission. It'll be um, holding on so onto soil for like a future mission to come and pick up. It's all like it's very it's very much tied into like future missions and the future of space exploration. For sure. You brought up some cool things. Uh, I believe you did like a great TikTok, just like highlighting some of the great elements of this mission. Can you expand that on that a little? Like it's, it's going to be involved in oxygen production, sort of, right? 
for the future? Yeah. So, um, so, so it has a whole bunch of different like experiments on it, but one is called Moxie. Um, and that's, and that's, it's like the Mars oxygen, uh, I S R U experiment, <laughs> but this, but it's essentially, it's, a, it's an experiment that's going to be on Mars, um, taking the carbon dioxide in the air and converting it into oxygen. And what this, what this experiment is essentially doing is seeing how, or whether, whether it's feasible to do this so that in the future, if they, if, mm. if it works out, then they would actually send something more, um, you know, I guess a, a larger scale thing that would prepare for humans. Gotcha. Yeah, it is a very forward facing mission, it seems to. And you mentioned like it's going to be collecting samples. Um, how is that different from Curiosity? Because I know or I know like Curiosity also sampled some soil and sent that information back too. but I guess this one is going to be holding on to it. How is that special, I guess? And how will that help future astronauts? Well, um, it's 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 going to help. It's not, it's not necessarily just the just future astronauts, but like just for us, we're actually going to get like our first samples mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Mars, like, an, you know, directly from the planet. And so um, the difference between this mission and, and the other one is that this is actually holding on to these samples uh-huh. and waiting for a future mission to come and pick them up, bring them back to Earth. Yeah. And that's going to be yeah. a much bigger job right now, right? I feel like every... Every rover launch right now, we've had a couple, um, you know, uh, satellites from other countries kind of make their way to Mars orbit. Uh, just doing that is difficult enough. But those the future missions you're talking about would also have to land and lift off from the planet and come back. What is the how far away are we from a mission like that? Like 10 years, 15 years? Well, um just for just for the the mission that would bring back the samples alone that we're waiting we're, we're looking at earliest 20 uh 2031 i'm sorry mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so yeah so to see it's at least 10 years minimum wow wow okay but i think one thing i really want to dive into here too is the uh the landing process of, uh, of the Perseverance rover. And uh, I think it's worth doing, um, NASA released a three and a half minute video of the entire landing sequence, um, starting from space, starting with the heat shield going down. Let's take a look at that. And uh, why don't we talk over it a little, like a game stream. If you see anything notable, if there's anything you want our audience to know, because we're seeing the parachute deploy right now in our video stream. Talk us through this a little, please. Okay, so, um... We've passed one of the one of the uh, most, I guess, the scariest parts, which is atmospheric entry, because yes. like, during atmospheric yes. entry, you get like huge heating, and of course, uh, perseverance is encased in this in this uh, in sort of like a protection shield. It has a heat mm-hmm. shield that will protect it from from that. Um, but there's also like at this point, we're at a parachute deployment, and this is a supersonic yeah. parachute, so it has to deploy faster than the speed of sound. Okay. okay. Um, so let's, <laughs> I have to bring that up because that's really that's pretty cool. wild. I also <laughs> love the, the shot of the heat shield falling into Mars just seems like it is breathtaking to me. It is all, it reminds me of like the shot that you see whenever a rocket lifts off from earth and you see like the booster kind of fall back a little into earth. Like it is exactly that, except it's completely different too. Right. Yes, exactly. And so like, and yet, right. So it drops off the heat shield um, yeah. so that it, you know, so that it can, have less, it has less weight and then it kind of can more guide itself. And then at this point it starts turning on things like the rate it has, it has a radar on it mm-hmm. where that radar is going to help it sort of figure out where, where it is at that point so that it can land. 
Um, but then this this this, tech, this new technology kicks in. It's called um, the terrain relative navigation, and so um, this this technology essentially what it's what it's going to do is scan the land that it's that, that is around it, and then take that match it to a map that it has on board so it can figure out where it is, and then that way it kind of sees where it's going. And so um, <laughs> I think at this point I, I don't know. Um, yeah. Okay. So we're 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 still we're still kind of hanging on and waiting because eventually there's going to be. We like see a the gusts of air too, right? That it looks like the the rover is blasting out to kind of just. Well, that, that's the thing itself. above it, right? The the mechanism that's actually helping to slow it down because I believe right there isn't enough air drag for the parachute to do enough to slow it down, right? Exactly, and so it has to turn on its little little rockets that are on this um this sort of a back shell thing that it has, mm -hmm. and so. These little rockets are what it's what it has to has to use to guide it, and then once the back shell is is sort of gone, it has this uh, it has like a, a yeah. So so it's, it'll it'll have these. It's on the descent stage. Sorry. Mm -hmm. So on the descent stage, it has eight rockets, and that's yep. that's what we're seeing, kind of like you know, mm -hmm. causing the the soil yeah. to go all yeah. And so that's what it has to use in order to in order to have a safe landing because as you said there's no drag <laughs> and the parachute obviously wasn't going to help in the in the atmosphere <laughs> the atmosphere is only one percent of earth and so yeah so this is like oh and there's the sky crane so the sky crane basically that's it, that's its whole that's that's everything it's done like so the sky crane has done its job its job is literally to get mars down or to get perseverance down to mars safely and then it just flies off okay and i think i think the sky crane this time landed like 700 meters away from perseverance and crashed That's amazing out. there are some fan fiction to be written about that poor sky crane it's like i did yes. my job time to die time to just go sit in mars maybe somebody will rescue me eventually have we Where are the um, yeah exactly uh, did the did the curiosity rover did it have a similar landing setup because i feel like this is a little different almost right yeah, it is. Um, you know, and it has also new technology and stuff like that. And uh, but yeah, so but it's but it's but it's really similar. The the landings for for Curiosity and um, and Perseverance are very similar. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, one thing we noticed too, uh, there was like a bit of a puzzle that NASA kind of hinted at uh, as the parachute was deploying, and uh, people on the internet immediately got to it, and they noticed like there are all these markings around the parachute. Uh, mm -hmm. The nerds immediately saw. I was like, "This is binary code," and um, it only took a couple hours for someone to decode it. And apparently, it says "dare mighty things" uh, in the concentric circles, and also has the location of the NASA, uh, one of the NASA visitor centers, I believe. Right? And what what is the significance of this, Sophia? Because I know it's a phrase we come back to quite a bit with every NASA mission, right? It's at the heart of the uh, organization. Yeah, so Dare Mighty Things, it's NASA's motto. And so um, I know NASA, NASA loves to send these yeah. like Easter eggs with missions. And this was one of them. There's more to come, mind you. So there are more to come. We don't, we haven't seen them all yet. <laughs> so, so keep your eyes open for that. <laughs> I know people will be sitting there waiting to try to decode them. If, if it's, if it's a code, for example, or if it's something like this, where we didn't, you know, we didn't understand what it was. We had to like decode it and stuff. I thought, I thought it was great. Like it was what, six hours later, somebody came yeah, up with, yeah. the, with the solution. It was just like that. Dare mighty things. It's the motto of NASA. And then they had like the coordinates on it too um <laughs> and dare mighty things is so fitting because every mission that they send out into space is mighty it's like they are daring the mightiest of things 
it's sort of like it's an immediate yeah. rebook too to everybody who's like, why are we spending money on Mars? It's like we have enough problems on Earth, and it just seems like. Uh, so this motto, uh, CNN points out, it borrows from the Theodore Roosevelt quote: "Far better is it to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy nor suffer much because they live in a gray twilight that knows not victory nor defeat." Uh, damn, that's a bit of a slam i think to the uh the negative naysayers but it really strikes to the heart of what nasa tries to do right just trying to make us think of a better bigger future with these missions yes and i mean i think a lot of people that say things like like you know that we're wasting money on space missions probably don't really know how much money space exploration gets in the first place Uh, okay because in 2020 it got 0.48% of the entire government's budget. So we got less than half a percent of it. Mm -hmm. Not much. Definitely not the the thing that you want to go and attack. But another thing I think people don't realize is that just because we're sending something, it's because we're sending something out so far, they don't see how the, how the benefits can be tangible to us. It's just just so removed from us, but space exploration and bettering our our, um, you know, our space flight, our equipment and all that stuff, bettering that stuff has actually brought us so many practical advances. Like you use these practical advances every day. Um, if you, if you, if you're a TikToker, for example, or you, or you're happy to, you know, happily can connect with people using like your video, your phone camera. I think one third of, of everybody's phone cameras are still the ones that came from, um, that came from space flight. And so, Medical advances, like you know, med- there's there's like the, like uh, what the CAT scans. These these are things that also came from space exploration. It's it's so much more. You know, I mean, it's almost kind of like if I if if I was if I lived in like a building, okay, where that's kind of like where I was stuck yeah. my my entire life, and I knew I could go out, but I didn't know what was out there. Mm-hmm. I think people would end up trying to go out and see like, hang on a second. I do want to know what we're in. Right. Cause it's like this huge thing. And now we do know that we're in this giant universe. That's like mind blowingly vast, like so bigger than we can ever imagine. And so we're just trying to study the little side of it that we're in so that we can figure out more about our planet. If we know how planets evolve in general, if we know how life can form on other planets, if we know more about, um, about like how they form that can tell us a lot about our own planet. So these are actually mm-hmm. things that will give us tangible results or tangible things that we can actually use practically in our life. And we do every day. Gotcha. Can we talk about specifics of this mission too? Cause I know a lot of it is devoted to finding signs of ancient life on Mars. Um, and there was a great editorial in the New York times recently too, about like why Mars and is actually a good place to do this because it is so frigid and so cold and things can be preserved. But yeah, can you talk a bit about that that mission and what NASA is trying to learn from all this? Yeah, so um, like for example, Mar- Mars is one of the one of the planets that are kind of in a habitable zone. The other one is mm-hmm. Venus, which is scorching hot. <laughs> and so the last time I think I think Russia tried to drop a a, a probe into into Venus, mm-hmm. it just got crushed. Like so, and you know, it just melted away and got crushed because there's huge pressure and and intense heat over there and so because because it's like it's a sort of runaway greenhouse effect that keeps going on and so that's not a good place to look (laughs) so mars is um 
it has it has temperatures that are that are you know that are good for 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 uh, for spacecraft or like, rovers that we send and such. Um, it has some atmosphere. It's one percent of Earth's, but it still has some atmosphere. And we found things like, you know, like like the way that the way that the, the land is sort of worn away is like that can only be done by water. Yeah, and so yeah. and so yeah, so we found that that this is like every you know, a lot of things hint towards the possibility of there having been life. And so so in this mission they want to actually find that. So they're gonna be looking mm-hmm. like through minerals and and different things like that to see if there are any, or, or to find any ancient signs of life that they can. Mm-hmm. And so um, that makes it, I mean, that makes this mission. And, and then of course the Martian soil that they're going to bring back over here for us to, to study. It's uh, <laughs> there's just so many cool things in this mission. I just, That's I, so yeah. cool. Is there anything specific about the location where they landed? Cause it is a basin, right? So it's somewhere, it's some, place where they believe there was a lot of water at one point and if there's a lot of water there was probably a lot of life forming them early life maybe something even you know more complex than we expect uh but is that can you tell us about the location of where it landed to yeah so it landed on um jezero crater mm-hmm. which uh and that's 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 the site that's the site that it's gonna that's that it's gonna um used to or to study and to like pick up its samples and such and yeah because because it, it does look like there might have been water there and so that was a good site to land at for them to do gotcha. all this gotcha cool yeah it's uh it's so exciting um and also because we're in gadget we cannot help but look at the tech specs <laughs> of this uh, of this rover uh and nasa actually put out like a major almost like a product page for this thing right where they describe the rover brains it's a processor that has a, it's a radiation hardened central processor with power PC 750 architecture, um, a BAE Rad 750. Uh, by the way, shouting out power PC 750. That is the same hardware that was at the heart of the G3 Max from the early 2000s. So kind of uh, kind of funny to see you know that earlier tech uh, show up in space. It operates at a speed up to 200 megahertz, um, ten times faster than the Spirit and Opportunity computers. It has two gigabytes of flash memory, two fi- 256 megabytes of dynamic random access memory, and 256 kilobytes of electrically erasable programmable read-only memory. So this thing, it feels like a very low-spec computer, but I guess that is what we can safely send to Mars, right? That will actually survive the radiation and the the cold and everything, right? Exactly. And so, I mean, I mean, you can either be impressed or disappointed. I think impressed <laughs> by, by a mission like that being run by like essentially a, a Pentium one, which is from 1992 <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and, or impressed, well, impressed with that, but, or disappointed because you would think mm-hmm. that, you know, it has more, but the thing is the, the, the thing that they know about, about this, about this processor is that it's reliable it will mm-hmm. protect. It will protect this this stuff from from the intense radiation that's going to have to deal with. And okay, I think like over uh, uh, several hundred missions in space are using this this uh, processor, and so it's it's reliable, and mm-hmm. um, and it uses very little power. Yes, we, okay. We're limited with power, so I know um, I know that it's that that perseverance is carrying with it some i think like 11 pounds of plutonium and so plutonium has it kind of naturally naturally undergoes radio radioactive decay which releases heat and that uh-huh. heat it converts to 
electricity. But remember, I said 11 pounds. That means it's limited. And so eventually it's going to deplete. So we don't want to we don't want to have, you know, processes eating up too much power so that, you know, we want to extend the mission as long as possible. And so. You know, you look at, I mean, you look at that and, you know, you might say, <laughs> you might say that like, you might be disappointed, but if then compared to like the Voyagers, uh, which were launched, launched in like what, 1970s, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> the Voyagers were, they had what, I think almost set like less, like about 70 kilo, kilobytes of, of memory Crazy. and, um, and half a megabyte of storage, <laughs> half a megabyte of storage. All, I think all my pictures are bigger than that. And so, uh-huh. <laughs> you know. <laughs> So it's like it's still in terms of space flight. It's 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 uh, it's not it's not so updated from past miss- missions, but it's but it's reliable and it's um, it works. Mm-hmm. We've come a long way, certainly in, on the tech <laughs> side. The NASA describes the rover's body as the warm electronics box, or WEB for short. Like a car body, they say it's a strong outer layer that protects the rover's computer and electronics. Uh, I'd say go look at some photos of this stuff uh, on NASA's site because the rover itself looks like a, um, you know, like a Wally. It looks like Wally from the Pixar movie who's kind of spread out with wheels and it's just kind of like janky and put together, but. It is not, it's not a polished thing. And you look at a lot of space work, it doesn't look like consumer polish, but it, it's made to withstand everything, right? This is a tough, tough machine. Yeah, it's, 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 um, it's made to withstand a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, like the, the, the primary thing that you're going to deal with in space is, is um, cosmic radiation and radiation in space. Mm-hmm. And so everything that's on, that's on this rover has to be able to withstand that. And so it's encased in, in a protective, in a protective shield. Uh, the, the processor comes with this, like, as you said, radio, like it's, it's like a radiation hardened. And so it's, it just protects from that, from that. And cause we, we need that. Like that's, that's the biggest, that's one of the biggest problems as well in terms of like space in, in, in human space flight to Mars is that we need to figure out how to protect things <laughs> from yeah. radiation. Well, yes. Gotcha. Um, So now that it's on the planet, it does seem like NASA is slowly getting more information. I guess it it certainly takes a while for data and observational stuff to make it back to Earth. But they did release on the second day the sound of Mars. And it is a very eerie thing. Let's take a just close your eyes, everybody. Take a minute and listen to this, because I think it is uh, it's just a fascinating thing to hear. Let's roll that audio. Um, I invite you now to, if you would like to close your eyes and just imagine yourself sitting on the surface of Mars and listening to to the surroundings. Uh, If I could have the first one, please. So that gentle world that happens in the background, that is a noise made by the rover. But yes, what you did hear 10 seconds in was an actual wind gust on the surface of Mars, picked up by the microphone, sent back to us here on Earth. The analysis indicates that was around a five meter per second type of wind gust. Um, So we have actually, we can sit here now and and actually tell you that we have recorded sound from the surface of Mars. So we have a second one, basically further reduced the noise of the rover so you can just hear uh, what the wind would sound like on Mars. And once again, I invite you to, to sit back and uh, have a listen to what it would sound like to be on Mars. There it is. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. It's a it's a weird noise because it's almost what I I've been to like some areas that aren't quite deserts, but like if you go out in the middle of nowhere in like in Nevada or something, like you can start to just hear wind. There's no trees rustling. There's like not much else except for like that gentle wind, and yeah, you just kind of feel it. It may not sound like much at first. How did you feel hearing that, Sophia? Oh, I I just I was. I mean, to be frank, I, I lost it. I was like, oh my goodness, we got sound on Mars. And this is like, you know, this is real sound. Like if, if you are on social media, you probably saw this tweet that went viral with a mm-hmm. video, um, you know, claiming that that was, the, that was sound on Mars. That was actually, I think, curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, none of the missions that are on Mars now have a microphone except for, for Perseverance. And so... That's not, <laughs> that definitely wasn't it. It wasn't perseverance and it was not the sound on Mars. So getting this was just incredible. It's like the first time that we can hear sound on another planet, which is so huge mm-hmm. because, you know, we know that in space, you can't hear anything. Okay. You, in space, because because sound needs a medium to prop, propagate in. And in space, you don't have one. It's essentially close. To, it's, it's as close you can get to a vacuum. Whereas on Mars, we do have a little bit of atmosphere. And so you will be able to hear stuff. And that's that's it. Like, we, we got to hear sound on another planet. So <laughs> it made me feel wonderful. I don't know. It made me feel like like it was kind of like like the reality of opening, like, doors to, to the future of ex, uh, space exploration. And so this is just – this mission is just all about that to me. <laughs> and so I'm just really, really excited about it. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I know you have to go soon. Uh, I'm just wondering, last question for you. What are you looking forward to, you know, from this mission? What sort of data, what sort of more insights are you really excited to see soon from NASA? Because I'm sure there's a lot of stuff to you that is like 10 years out, right? The helicopter. I want to see if it flies. <laughs> I want to see it again. So I think it's charging right now. Um, yep. I think I think it's going to be charging for about 30 to 60 days, depending on what um, I, I think it was like 30 to 60. Yeah, so it's sitting there and charging. It's getting um, recharged by Perseverance. And then the flight starts. And so um, I'm really excited for that. Keep your eyes out for that. It's going to be the first time that we have a helicopter on another planet flying, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. Everything crossed. Uh, toes crossed and all, too. Thank you so much, Sophia, for joining us and explaining all this for us. Where can people find your work on the Internet and follow you and everything? I'm Girl everywhere. So it's like... It's like astroparticle, but instead of the C-L-E, it's girl. <laughs> so uh-huh. astroparticle, Twitter, um, TikTok yep. now, Instagram, Facebook. And I do have a, I have a website as well. Um, it's not, so you can actually use it to like mostly contact me. It's not super updated, but I will be updating that as well. Um, but that's, but my social media, I'm, I'm all over it. So sure, for sure. I first read that as Astro Party Girl, and I saw on your website that you definitely, uh, you, you clarify that, but I think either way works, right? Astro Party I Girl. I love space party parties. Girl. I'm totally happy space with that. Parties. It's just, yeah. <laughs> it's just that, yeah, it's, it's, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with either. It's, uh, it's just, I like to, I like people to know where yeah. it comes from because it's like the Astro Particle part, but yeah, I'm totally happy with space parties. I, I would, jam at one note and no problem. Awesome. Thank you so much. I hope to chat again with you on the Gadget Podcast. Thank you. I'm done with Mars. Let's talk about some other tech. Sherlyn, I know you've got a ton of Android news. What is up with Google stuff? Hells yeah. So 
Android 12 isn't going to be ready for a while. We just saw the first developer preview recently, maybe last week. And uh, that doesn't mean, though, that we don't have any new features to look Mm -hmm. forward to. Google's actually been changing up its uh, update cadence, I feel like, uh, in the last few years or so, where it actually just releases like sets of updates as they're ready. It doesn't like wait till a major (laughs) release anymore to share That's good. I prefer this, honestly. I like, like a few features here and there. Yeah. Yeah, it might make like each new version of Android feel like it's less of a huge update, but you do get these features sooner instead of having to wait around for an arbitrary date. So (laughs) with this set of updates, there's like half a dozen new things. And I think the biggest thing that most of us were excited for is scheduled texts. Scheduled text (laughs) meaning in the messages app. So, So only in, you know, text, RCS text or text. Um, you can set a message to send like at whatever time you want. So uh, the practical uses for this are like, if you're texting with someone in a different time zone and you don't want to wake them up, um, so you, you set a message to, to send only when, you know, they're awake. So like, if you're, I don't know, you want to send a good morning message, but you're sure, afraid you're yeah. not going to be up yet. Or you have random you thought in the middle message. of the night and you don't want to bug your friends. Sure, Lynn. That's what Twitter is for. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I also do send a lot of late night text messages. This is very true. All the group chats are of me going like, <laughs> why are trefoils called trefoils or something? I don't know. Um, but yeah, Magnets, how do text, they work? Yeah. Schedule text is, is awesome. And uh, it's one thing I don't think iOS uh, people have yet. So no way to rub up, it in. Baby. I know. But we have uh, y'all have other things that we don't have like a good messaging app anyway (laughs) in addition to scheduled text there are a bunch of other things right there's uh, a new dark mode for google maps that one's been rumored for a long time for a few months now so now if you're driving around in the dark you can use dark mode on google maps and it won't have to scorch your eyes anymore there is uh an assistant cannot be used on when even when your phone is locked now that obviously prevents some presents mm. some privacy related issues and concerns but it's a setting that you can enable so if if you prefer the convenience of being able to use assistant even when your phone is locked and when it's far away it's actually helpful for people who really want to use assistant hands free all the time sure. but don't have a speaker for example um this is a trade-off you might want to you might have to make or you just have to be very careful about your privacy uh and then speaking of hands-free use there's also improvements made to the talkback screen reader they've uh, google's revamped it to make it a little less cluttered they've simplified some of the navigation integrated some of it so the menus used to be very confusing um and then they also added new gestures multi-finger gestures to uh get the screen reader to read you articles uh, so if you swipe left or right with three fingers, you can change the reading options for articles to from reading headlines only to reading every word to reading even every single character. So just keep swipe, swiping to toggle through those. So, you know, I talk a bit about accessibility in my coverage, and this is one of the things that Google is doing. And I think it's not it's a good That's thing cool. that they're working on it. Yeah, yeah, that they continue to update it. And then the last few updates... Generally less important to me, Android Auto. <laughs> I don't drive. 
because I'm in the New York area. So, you know, but there's some updates. You get a new, uh, you can play now uh, voice activated games, Devendra. So the next time you're in your fancy new car and you mm-hmm. maybe have Android Auto, I know you're an iPhone person, but mm-hmm. you could start a trivia game or Jeopardy. That seems like uh, a bad idea, but okay. <laughs> with If you have, if you're on a road trip or something. Yeah, um, that's fun. Or you have to entertain the kids or something. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then there's some other features like custom wallpapers for your dashboard, uh, split screen if you have a wider screen, and uh, a, a privacy screen when you have like people to decide when you show your Android Auto screen uh, if you have someone in the car with you or not. Mm-hmm. So just a bunch of updates. I think it's nice. People in Android, uh, people who are on Android, may appreciate it. And a lot of these, it's not clear yet just how immediate they will go into effect. Uh, but they're expected in the coming weeks or so. So look at your phone. Keep updating. Very cool. Very cool. Well, yeah. I think there's other news happening too. Sony gave us a brief glimpse of what's going to be coming with the next PlayStation VR that's going to work with the PlayStation 5. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. coming this year, but they were basically, they dropped a blog post that was just like, hey, uh, we like VR. We, we have a new one coming. Okay. It'll be <laughs> better. It'll look clearer. Um, it's all like very vague. I expect a higher resolution, a wider field of view. Those are all things they kind of referenced. Uh, better tracking. Um, and they even mm-hmm. talked about like having a new VR controller, which is kind of interesting because right now Sony relies on the old Move controllers, which are very old. Uh, the Move controllers mm-hmm. and its old Move camera with the PlayStation 4, you know, those things were around for a while. And I was shocked when I reviewed the PSVR in like 2016 that, you know, it delivered a pretty decent VR experience. But yeah, they need a new controller. So if they I, build this, yeah. What? I have thoughts on this because I'm just now looking at the picture of, I believe, is <laughs> the PSVR uh-huh. uh, set with the two controllers the with two the balls. orbs on the end yep. of the. Geez, that's not a, that's not very sophisticated. That looks a lot like <laughs> Lenovo's. Oi, I, I played a Marvel AR MR game with Lenovo's Mirage two years ago it's and very similar the yeah. same style yeah and it's uh no you can do better than that <laughs> i mean those move controllers came out really early in the 2010s too i believe even weren't they yeah. part of the police station three i gotta look at the history there Ooh. but that's old hardware that they kind of retrofitted to be vr stuff so i was shocked it worked and it worked pretty well um <laughs> the problem okay. was the setup for playstation vr is a mess, right? Because you need to have the camera, mm-hmm. you need to have a giant cable trailing through your living room to the headset. There's like a breakout cable in the headset. There's a, you got to plug in headphones into that cable, I believe. So like, it's a whole bunch of things all at once. So I hope this next version is more streamlined. Give me like, it's probably still going to be cabled, but give me like a single cable, um, built-in headphones with the option of using my own or something. And, you know, the better quality and stuff would be nice. But certainly the PlayStation 5 is fast enough to do much, much better VR mm. than the PlayStation 4. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's uh, just, yeah. I have a few questions about this as a yes. budding console gamer. One You keep saying that, what- <laughs> but uh, what evidence is there other than your switch? Budding. Budding. Uh-huh. Um, here, here's my question. One, what are the VR game titles like on PS versus Xbox? And two, what's the Xbox VR situation? Yeah, I was going to get to that. There, I mean, we still oh, don't good. have anything for Xbox, right? Microsoft, I think, has said that the you know the Xbox Series X could run VR. It certainly has the hardware for it. But 
They have not announced anything. They never did. They didn't touch VR with the Xbox mm-hmm. One series of consoles. It was all like Windows VR. And it even seems like Microsoft is taking a step back from that now. So I don't know. I, I was kind of predicting like maybe they're waiting for wireless VR to become more of a thing. But that would be right. super expensive. That would be, you know, a $500 headset even just to get the wireless receiver and everything. So we don't know. The Xbox Series X does have a um, has a USB port up front. For VR, you also need an HDMI jack. So, like, it's a whole bunch mm-hmm. of things. Uh, Microsoft has no strategy, whereas Sony did a pretty good job of launching the PSVR with a bunch of really cool games. Um, and mm-hmm. some of the early experiences, like there was a Batman one that was super cool. Um, and even mm-hmm. since then, games like Resident Evil 7 were, it was updated to support VR. So, you could play that entire mm-hmm. game in first person in VR on a pretty old console. So, that was all really nice. impressive to me. Yeah. It's one of my favorite games, by the way, Resident Evil. But except for I used to play it in an actual arcade with the actual gun toy things. So. I don't. I think you're thinking of a different game. Are you thinking of House of the Maybe Dead? Maybe House of the Dead. Yeah, you're thinking of House <laughs> of the Dead. Different house. Well, I evil. did also. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I also did play <laughs> Resident Evil somewhere somehow. If you like that, it's very somewhere familiar. somehow. Maybe I'll um, watch the movies. Anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> or you could be thinking of Time Crisis, but yeah, that would be House of the Dead if it was. Oh, I loved Time Crisis. Yeah. Oh. You had arcades. You were lucky. Thing. I love my arcades. I had a childhood. This is true. You had a childhood um, with arcades. Um, you know, I miss social things. So hopefully we will get back to a place where we could do things and play games in public too. What else is up yes. with you, Sherlyn? Because I know yeah. you've got a lot of cool I mean, news you're sitting on. I know. So in hardware, in the world of hardware, I think this is a big piece of news. Huawei unveiled its Mate X2 foldable phone. And this is like... It's been a while since we saw Huawei do its uh, foldable phone. We saw a Mate XS, I believe, last year, I want to say, which was more durable than the original Mate X. Now, Mm -hmm. as a refresher, when the foldable phone war started happening, (laughs) Samsung came out with the Galaxy Fold. It folded inwards upon itself, and that iteration has sort of been the same that format has sort of been the same for samsung meanwhile huawei came out and was like no nah, we think folding outwards is gonna work <laughs> like have the screen bend and face outwards um okay that was the original mate x or mate 10 or however they was that ever released and we kept talking it was about never it really sold large scale yeah, yeah. It, it may we saw it floating around at uh conventions or whatever and if mm-hmm. it ever went on sale it was very limited run <laughs> uh, and i don't actually believe it ever did we had pricing information announced for it but i don't know how many people actually were able to buy it anyhow that was that was how the mate foldables were were right they they folded bent bent outwards mm-hmm. the mate x2 that was announced this week uh it looks a lot more like the galaxy fold <laughs> maybe they realize it's a pretty bad idea to have just all screen they, out yeah i feel like huawei probably took a while <laughs> to figure out how to make it more durable and then we're like oh crap this is not probably not gonna work because screens are very fragile um so what happened is now basically there is a eight inch inner screen that mm-hmm. folds upon itself and then an outer screen uh that's 6.5 inches with a slightly different uh, aspect ratio than the galaxy fold sure um both of these screens are oleds and they have 90 hertz refresh rates which good these are good specs yeah uh especially for a flexible screen on the inside um but (laughs) because it's huawei a few things to note (laughs) one 
no Google Apps, right? There's not a proper Google App Store in there. You won't have access to your Gmail, G Drive, etc. unless you find a way to sideload. Lots of questions there about that. Uh, the phone will run EMUI 11. EMUI is Huawei's sort of mm-hmm. Android open source based software. Uh, and it's based on Android 10. So this is basically Huawei taking uh, AOSP. Uh, which is an open source code and platform anyway that basically anyone can take and tweak to to their heart's desire okay. um, and not official Android, right? Which is currently on 11 and the developer preview for 12 was just released. So that's uh, supposed to come through soon. <laughs> <We're> <laughs> not sure. Now, okay, before I, I, I explain to you guys some other things about Huawei that we want to be careful about. Yep. Let's just quickly talk about what this device looks like, right? It looks really thin. It looks very nice. And having played with the original Huawei Mate foldable phone, I, I feel like Huawei's hardware is going to be very good. Huawei uh-huh. has made some really good-looking phones in the we past. We like their laptops too, the, right? So. We love their laptops. Mm-hmm. Their laptops, well, a lot, very, very MacBook clone-ish, but <laughs> solid, sturdy, good-looking. The problem with Huawei is that setting aside the accusations of like its security risks here in the US like mm-hmm. they've you know come under fire during the Trump administration uh and were banned and that's the whole reason they don't have access to Google Apps or the Google App Store or Android anymore there's also the fact that there's a lot of reports on how um Huawei is working with or somehow facilitating the Chinese government mm-hmm. On uh, its really awful treatment of, and I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, Uyghurs, um, which is sort of like a Muslim community yeah. in, I want to say northern China. Yeah. The way I understand it, my, my understanding of this <laughs> issue, by the way, comes from what I've known growing up mm-hmm. and watching a lot of Chinese TV and... Chinese TV shows, especially the period dramas, villainize or vilify the what we call Xinjiang, which is that part where the Uyghurs are more Muslim-based mm-hmm. community. I mean that that apparently even, what happened. Yeah, I think even yeah. the last Mulan movie kind of did that too. Like yes, the, the bad exactly. guys were the browner Chinese people. Oh, yes, imagine yes. that. Exactly. For the longest time, I also just assumed they were Mongolian because sure. that's. Uh, what the subtitles were sometimes too because <laughs> we didn't really subtitle well in the past um, so I made that association in my head mm-hmm. uh, but anyhow that's th- my understanding is obviously a little True. the perspective that I have is a bit different right I yeah. feel like to me this has been a long and ongoing issue since way back sure. in the dynasty. but the concentration camps are new so you know the alleged Aye. concentration so I, I, camps. I, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of coverage of that. Be sure to read up on that, all that. We wrote about. Uh, there was a report that Huawei tested its facial recognition software that specifically targeted weaker Muslims in China. So that is, mm-hmm. it's awful. It's it's bad mm-hmm. stuff, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of that is why we are not reviewing Huawei hardware. You know, we're not like covering them in the same way we'd cover other companies because they're we have to wait and see what's going on yeah yeah and i'll say this sometimes if you look at engadget and you feel like hey there's something you might not be covering often there will be a reason uh one of them being questionable practices like this and again to be clear huawei might not actively be the 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 people that are putting uyghur muslims in concentration camps that's the chinese government but its role here it's tech like it's something we don't want to uh, recommend to people it's, it's like if they like, make products it's we're not gonna recommend kind of like the ibm situation too right which 
IBM IBM corporate would love to make everybody forget that its database software was used by Nazis to catalog mm. Jewish people. And that is that is in the history of IBM. A lot of companies, um, you know, in the US rushed to do business with Nazi Germany. And a lot of that's just swept under the rug, you know, so this mm. almost seems like a you, similar situation. Yeah. Yeah. And you also notice that we don't review slash recommend uh, Blink cameras, Amazon's, mm. I believe, Blink cameras, because of the whole data and the sharing your, your streams to law enforcement. That, that's that controversy, Ring cameras. I think, Ring cameras. Yeah. My bad. Ring, uh, I think it was, yeah, I think there was another site that called out a few other publications for still recommending Ring yep. cameras. Um, and I was so happy <laughs> that Engadget did not make that list we because and also, we made that decision a while ago. We don't cover cameras very much either. But hey, even that's, that's like a personal decision. You know, when I move to a house, um, you know, it, outside of New York City, I need a security system. Um, Ring is still a thing that's recommended for like in-home use because it's just a security system, right? It is currently the best available offering. It is not like spewing data out and surveilling my neighborhood or anything. So I actually opted for a whole different camera setup. I'll be writing this up eventually. I'm using uh, Arlo, which is Netgear's old Mm, like camera thing. Yeah, Yeah. Um, But I have those like around my house now and a doorbell and they're not sharing data with the police and i really appreciate that Mm -hmm. you know i have a bit more control over that yeah if we get into smart cameras there's a lot of different options i mean i personally have used a canary i have Mm -hmm. nest um and yeah there's plenty of brands out there like netgear and in addition to amazon's ring now i will say that like ring does offer some new privacy controls now but until we can like get a definitive yes or no, I th- I think yeah. it, it, you'll see that we we try to make the best like decisions when it comes to our coverage. The, we got to be a bit responsible, right? So the thing about Ring, by the way, is that uh, you are automatically a part of uh, the Ring neighborhood app, which is the thing where all all captured footage is shared with other people or could be shared to Ring and accessed by the cops. So Whew. that's the whole thing. Yeah, it's not um, great. I don't like that. Yeah, so so anyway, that's our stance on Huawei. Uh, we haven't made similar decisions around Xiaomi, even though Xiaomi apparently also comes under fire for reported security issues. Yep. Um, but know that we can continue to evaluate these situations and then make decisions when we when we have enough information. I think so. For sure. You've got uh, you got some. We got some other news. This is like a news heavy week, Devendra, right? <laughs> Jeez. So much news. Well, Spotify had a media event, and I knew several of our reporters uh, hopped on to mm-hmm. cover it because there was a lot of stuff coming out. They confirmed that hi-fi audio, so CD quality audio, is going to be coming later this year nice. um, in select markets. We don't know what the pricing is, but that would basically bring them in line with Tidal, um, I believe Amazon Music, and a bunch of other services that do like high-res sort of streaming. Um uh, lossless i assume or at least like higher fidelity and you know it's a thing where right now spotify the highest quality setting is 320 kilobits per second mp3 Mm. which i think to most people and most speakers and everything and headphones that's gonna sound fantastic Mm. uh the cd quality version is going to be for the the audiophiles who just you know they're the kind of people who keep their cds around Mm -hmm. um people who prefer the sound of physical media to streaming if you can actually hear that, if you have $10,000 speakers, then it will probably make a difference. So that's a good thing. I just don't know how uh, 
I don't know how universal this feature is going to be. You know, yeah. I was going to say who my cares speakers. a lot about audio quality. Yeah, I was going to ask if my speakers would make a different, like, <laughs> would make a difference on my speakers, which are Nest Audio, which are pretty fine. Um, but it depends on how expensive your stuff is, right? If you have not one thousand dollar headphones, if you have speakers that cost five thousand dollars or more. Maybe, maybe you'll hear something, but even then you have to be in a quiet environment. You have to like sit there and really focus and listen. So high risk audio is not like day-to-day audio, mm-hmm. right? Like if you're commuting or walking around the neighborhood or something, you're probably not going to really hear the benefits of that yeah. stuff. So it's cool. It's coming. It seems like a little late because I think there were reports since 2017 that Spotify was exploring this and, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they do it. Uh, also, because bandwidth is an issue, too. Those mm-hmm. are much bigger files. Spotify, um, when Spotify launched, I talked with some folks, like, who used to work on the architecture of it. And there's, like, a bit of BitTorrent action <laughs> going on to help, like, oh, Spotify spread out sense. data. I don't know if that's still happening. But the initial Spotify architecture was, like, like there was P2P-ish. a bit of data sharing going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Between mm-hmm. the app. Um, I don't know if that's still happening, but I, it'll be interesting to see how they deal with that. Um, as people get 5g and things like that, you'll have access to bigger files, you know, on the go. So that's nice. Uh, another major thing they announced is a, I don't know, the most dad <laughs> podcast sound ever, yes. like dadcast, uh, Obama cross Bruce Springsteen yes. podcast where they just sit around and, um, talk about being cool dudes and you you sit and you uh you know you sit and you put your leg over each other and you just stare at each other that's perfect as like uh boomer dads it's uh it's pretty great um it's going to be the second show produced from the higher ground production company that the obamas own this series is gonna be called renegades born Mm -hmm. in the usa (laughs) great title come on Um, of course it's gonna be an eight episode show talking about race fatherhood marriage and the future of america so that's a thing um it's kind of it's kind of fun. Uh, I believe wasn't there a clip going around? I think one of the first things that went viral from this was that Obama was talking about um, how he punched a guy in the face who called him a racial slur. So oh, you're going to learn okay. all sorts of stuff from nice. our former president. Yeah, nice. and everyone's like, "Yeah, good on you." Yeah, I'm here for it. Sure. <laughs> um, I, are you going to be listening to this, Sherlyn? Do you oh, care yeah. about Bruce Springsteen? You live in New Jersey. Exactly. So I, I live in Jersey. I feel like I have legally to. required to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was gonna say I might be they might take back my driver's <laughs> license or my undriver's <laughs> license. Um undriver's license, yeah. Yeah, but that story about Obama punching someone out, yeah, I'm here to listen to it. I wanna wanna <laughs> find out more. It's kind of cool. Um it does make me wonder because I think about like the state of the podcast market mm. and everything and when it's it's just all these big names, you know. It's yep. like when every major celebrity comedians has one. Yeah. come in. Every celebrity has one. It's like easy money because you can get ads pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, or companies like Spotify is paying for this, you know. So they're paying Obama and Bruce Springsteen to make a podcast that all the dads everywhere will be listening yep. to. Um, it does make life harder for yep. I think independent podcast producers, yes. uh, people like us who are like. Uh, let's talk about the news. Let's try to make oh, like yeah. a episode people will care about. It is, uh, it is tough. Damn yes. these famous people. Trust me. <laughs> I have so many podcast ideas that are sort of in the works slash sort of being talked about. And they're not, mm-hmm. they're just not going to, cause I'm like considering the saturation of the market, the staggering yes. odds we're working against. I'm yes. like, oh, nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna listen to my podcast. So, and by this, I mean my offshoot Sherlin's show, whatever, not the engagement <laughs> podcast. <laughs> the lowdown, the download. Um, but but 
the the tea. <laughs> uh-huh, <laughs> but uh-huh. but you know, uh, I even have at least a few more, you know, followers than most people do. <laughs> And I already feel you're, like the odds you're are a minor celebrity. I'm not. I don't even like that word. I'm not. I'm, I'm barely even known. But Im- imagine if you're regular Joe or regular Jane or you know, and you want to start your own podcast. It yep. feels like it's so easy to do. But actually, think about all the celebrities that people the have built in followings for. They've ruined it. They've ruined podcasting. I don't know. So yeah, it is very easy to produce your shows. There are actually services now that are make it easier than ever. Recording shows together, editing online, it's all a thing with something like Zencaster, but yep. discovery is a problem. So actually, to, to wit, uh, because of that, uh, Spotify says it's also going to be building machine learning tools mm-hmm. to help people um, discover new podcasts. So that's kind of, I think that's pretty cool. Because um, yeah. right now, the other, the other big problem is discovery, where there are a ton of good shows and iTunes and other podcasters will like highlight the, the hottest things or the things everybody's downloading, but... There's so much stuff out there. You need a smart way to like detail. What do you like? What do you like to listen mm-hmm. to? What can it recommend to you? So it sounds like they're taking their current music engine, like the stuff that they're already doing to recommend music to people. They're kind of going to do that for podcasts too. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I, I like to see how that works out because I already get mm-hmm. a lot of podcast recommendations on um, Spotify and it's basically the podcast of all our rival publications. So <laughs> how you dare listen you? to the Engadget Yeah, you need podcast. a how dare you button. Here's all the other people that you might want to listen. I'm like, no, I'm not going to listen to. Here are all your mortal enemies. (laughs) Please listen. Please listen. Let's talk about dying things because of Mm. the pandemic. Uh, Easy segue into Fry's Electronics, the Mm. I don't the uh, renowned, the infamous West Coast electronics store. I have never been to one, but it's a giant store that was Mm. kind of famous for having like themed. Uh, outlets like different ones like there's one with mm. like a UFO crashed into it huge stores that kind of sold everything but also sold a lot of like specific geeky tech um, seems like a Radio Shack cross with a Best Buy they never really made it to the East Coast so I never got to go to a Fry's mm. I could only see the ads online and that makes me sad um, they Aww. kind of unceremoniously just closed all the stores this week they didn't put out a big announcement or anything there was rumors going around on the internet on Instagram and Twitter um, where people notice, like, uh, yeah, this store is empty. And they went in to get something, and people were like, yeah, we're going to shut down the website later tonight, or at least, you know, close everything that's still open. So RIP Fries, I don't know if you have any thoughts, Roland. Did you have, like, good geeky stores in, in Singapore <laughs> yeah. that actually sold hardware? The reason I laugh is because... Uh-huh. The- there's apparently a few Singaporeans that watch our podcast. And every time <laughs> I mention going to Singapore to buy something from an electronic store, they always shout out the same few names. We have. We have like some uh-huh. malls known for, and it's called Simlim Square or Funan the IT Mall. And uh, mm. they're not themed so much as they're just the two spots. Apparently, you can just go and get really good electronics for, for fairly cheap compared to like big box stores. All those electronics aren't being made far away from Singapore, right? So you guys right, have easy access to them. Um when we went to my first trip to Computex, so that would be my first trip to Taipei, I went mm-hmm. to one of the tech malls there. Taipei oh, has yeah. several tech malls. Oh, yeah. So uh, check out that story in Gadget because there's a lot of photos. And it's really cool to have like just walk through a mall and have one store all owned by Asus ROG or one store all with Racer. You know, and you can go mm-hmm. in there and play with the hardware. Um, I found some really cool tchotchkes and battery, cute battery 
packs for my and, wife. Yeah. And some like weird stuff. Let's be honest. Some of the stuff I've seen in those malls are weird enough <laughs> that I need like a NC-16 warning to talk about them here. So It's very weird. And once you get into like the, the anime theme things, like things get mm. things get a little mm-hmm. dicey really quick. Um, I also want to talk about something else that uh, ended this week. Cinefx Magazine, which is... If you go to a newsstand, if you ever went to like Borders or Barnes & Noble when those things were open and looked in their magazine section, there would always be this gorgeous um, color magazine with amazing photos on the front right next to Entertainment Weekly and all the other film stuff. Um, And that's Cinefix. It was all about the visual effects industry. It's been around for 40 years. Um, detailing like the magic of movie making, you know, how people actually created special effects and uh, they did it for both practical and digital effects. Uh, They also announced this week that this latest episode, uh, the one featuring the Mandalorian and the child, um, is going to be their last because the pandemic made it very difficult for them to keep running a print magazine. Honestly, I'm shocked that they were able to keep it going for so long. Yeah. Yeah, Advertising like disappeared for them. Stuff to cover disappeared because... Uh, it was harder to get access to companies and people weren't producing as many TV shows and movies. So I just want to point this out. I wrote up a post in Gadget called Farewell Cinefix. You unlock the magic oh. of VFX for everyone uh, with some, you know, uh, notes from people in the industry. Um, ILM, I think, uh, was the first one to announce this news on Twitter. Um, Corey Bar- Corey Barlog, the director of the God of War series, said, uh, you know, it was the thing that helped him see the world of VFX in the Midwest. Um, Who else? Also, somebody I know, uh, John Lepore from the VFX studio Perception in New York City, Hmm. uh, gave us some good quotes about, you know, what it was like finding Cinefx for the first time, the influence it had on him. And, you know, this magazine's kind of led to his work, his life in VFX. And that's something we also covered in Gadget too. So check out our feature on Perception. Um, I'm really sad because I like physical (laughs) magazines. I like big, glossy magazines. There really weren't that many devoted to movies. And especially like this is Mm. a geeky magazine. Like they have pages and pages of interviews, really in-depth articles, really technical stuff, which I think the Engadget audience will appreciate. So um, I had pinged them to see if they can survive digitally in the future because they did have an iPad edition, but the bulk of their like work was about this print copy. So I, I hope it comes back somehow because there's still room for in-depth technical coverage of movie making uh, on the internet and in general. And it's sad that this thing is going. It's uh, It was a beautiful thing. I have some old copies sitting around somewhere. It's just, it's so sad. Did you ever see this magazine, Sherlyn? Not this one, uh, but I remember mm-hmm. when I used to work at Laptop Magazine and uh, I j- had joined right after they decided that, that would the last edition they made would be the last physical yeah. copy. And yeah. that was a real All bummer. because of you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It was my fault, <laughs> really. I brought, I brought the jinx. But uh, it, it was like a, definitely like an era that's past us, right? Like it, we all, yeah. for, I think there's people... That are living today that don't know what a physical magazine really feels like. No, I, I mean, I, I think the kids know what like, they know what it is. Them. But have they? Yeah. Like, when you when that when the excitement of it. that hitting your mail like your your sure, sure. physical post box or for me, I got the Newsweek magazines <laughs> in schools that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I the exclusivity, like yeah, of only getting information from these magazines that is certainly gone because everything's on the internet. But I love new magazines. I love gaming magazines. I love smelling. <laughs> 
a new magazine. Guess what though? You know, yeah. You know what? Physical magazines are still thriving. These entertainment celebrity gossip rags—they're still around, and I still feel like we could save a few trees. But we'll see. Anyway, we could save a few trees and brain cells and whatnot by reducing coverage of that. Oh, well, farewell, Cinefix Magazine. Uh, if you see any floating around, I'd recommend you pick one up. It's 15 bucks, uh, but you get some really good info. And if you like The Mandalorian, uh, that latest issue will certainly be a good thing to have. All right, so before we get to what Devendra and I have been working on, I wanted to shout out a few things that other Engadget team members have done this week, uh, starting with Andy Andrew Tarantola, who we affectionately call Andy. Uh, he <laughs> recently published uh, an, a primer uh, or an article called What's Going On at Google AI? And I think this is a story that has been unfolding for a long time now, as, you know, when ever since uh, a former Google's uh, AI ethicist, Timnit Gebru, or Gebru, mm-hmm. I hope I'm pronouncing it right, um, tweeted in December about a very iffy resignation slash termination uh, that that happened at for, you know at Google. So basically, her their tweet was uh, quote apparently my manager's manager sent an email to my direct report saying that she accepted my resignation. I hadn't resigned. I had asked for simple conditions first and said I would respond when I'm back from vacation. But I guess she decided for me. So it's it's just it's yeah. not cool. That happened in December, and things have been going on since. I mean, Google it's didn't just have... been snowballing and escalating, right? Like Hell it's only yeah. gotten worse, and Google is not doing anything to kind of make it better. Yeah. There's not a very good answer for what happened. So <laughs> for you, for for everyone listening and watching, and wants to and wanting to know what's going on here. Uh, Andy's article is a very good way to get caught up, mm-hmm. um, not to give away his whole story, but just to kind of um, give you some background. Uh, AI and ethics—that's a huge thing. There, there's there have been AI. Google's like, I don't know what to do with this. Uh, fire them. That's right. That's yeah. fine. But let's—I mean, if we uh. take it even further back, if we zoom out even more, right? Like there have been ethical. Mm-hmm boards or, or associations to look at the ethics of AI for sure. for years now, since really AI started getting thrown around as a buzzword. Um, and I, my, my cousin is like a lawyer in Singapore who recently published a report about uh, criminal law and AI. Like there's mm-hmm. governments, he's, he's doing that for the Singapore Academy of Law. And like there's governments actually looking at the ethics of letting AI run our lives too, right? When, sure, yeah. When AI commits a crime in a self-driving car, it hits someone, who's to blame? That sort of question needs to be asked. And there's yeah. a lot of ethics there. Google also had their own ethics department and group when it came to their AI. So Timnit... Uh, Gebru, I think, was um, involved, or, or actually, I believe, was leading the she was ethics one of the AI leaders, yeah. part. One of the leaders, yep. as uh, along with uh, Margaret Mitchell, who is a mm-hmm. computer scientist who specialized in algorithmic bias, and they both flagged issues that said some of these AI and some of these algorithms they're mm-hmm. just not good for minority groups. They're harmful, well, the, actively harmful. Specifically, like they were the ones that. Uh, did the study that facial recognition does not recognize people with darker skin tones very well. And that is inherently racist. And I feel like one thing, 
one thing people talk about, especially in the tech community, is like, oh yeah, AI. The cool thing about AI is it's completely neutral. There's no bias it's, or anything it's involved. Not. But it's not. Somebody has to program the right. AI. That or, initial data it. comes from somewhere and train right. it. So yeah, that initial info comes from somewhere. They did a good job of highlighting the kind of flaws in what Google was doing. Yeah. But wasn't it the issue like I it think Tim yeah. basically had a paper right that was going to say like a specific thing Google was doing yes. is inherently bad and yes. they shouldn't. So do it. it seemed like Google yeah. didn't like that. Yeah. It, absolutely. Again, you can get all the yeah. details from the article, but to, to answer what Devendra said, yes, the, this, Gabriel's dismissal, it happened in December after she co-authored a research paper talking about Google's trillion parameter AI language model mm-hmm. um, that is designed to mimic language. And she argued, she and her team argued that it could harm minority groups, um, saying that they don't believe enough thought has been put into the potential risks associated with developing these and that mm-hmm. there's not been enough strategies to mitigate these risks, which are very fair questions to ask yeah. in an early stage research paper. Um, and to be clear that that uh, research that her and Margaret Mitchell did about darker skin tones being not recognized by AI led to some I believe led to some improvements, if not directly, then indirectly, right? About how our camera algorithms expose for darker skin tones. That it's sort still, of thing that Google yeah. has since highlighted. Now, I mean, mm-hmm. I won't say they're effective, but Google itself, when it launched mm-hmm. Meet hardware uh, last year, said we're working on improving camera algorithms to better recognize yep. faces of people with darker skin tones. Yep. They acknowledge that. So, yep. Something's happening. I mean, there's still from? reports right now, like kids in schools who need to take virtually proctored tests. Uh, one thing uh, those those software programs typically do is like uses a camera to make sure you are you and it recognizes you and you're sitting there and you're not like looking right. at your phone or something. Right. And right. a lot of students are saying like they really have to crank up all the lights in their room and like put a spotlight on themselves to make the software know they're actually there. So These are important questions. The weird thing is that Google basically objected to her doing that initial paper about the uh, AI language model um, and just completely dismissed it. And first they asked her to completely, you know, take herself out of that paper, I believe, like just not be a part of this. She refused. Um, The conversation with her was like, can we talk about this somehow? Um, And then that's when they had fired her during her vacation. People came to her defense. So other folks on her team and Google, what was it? Um, Mitchell, her co- Margaret Mitchell, yeah. Your co- her co- like colleague in the ethics AI group, uh, mm-hmm. Margaret Mitchell, was locked out of her account after she started speaking out too, and like it's a lot of weird things. And then most recently, Google announced like they're reorganizing the whole ethics a- the ethical AI team, um, except they didn't tell the ethical AI team. Yeah. So never well, feels good to be that, moved around I mean- in ways you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, sort of tying back to our earlier conversation on uh, how Engadget sometimes covers things, right? I think that each little piece of this developing saga story um, (laughs) is not something that we would hit piecemeal. We wouldn't hit each little development. I don't know that we would. I'm I'm not sure. But it depends. It depends depends on the situation. I I think the initial story is something we should have hit. I forget if we actually were there at the beginning. may or may not have. I'm not sure. But we often also have to wait till we can get the facts confirmed. And then so sometimes it just makes more sense to do a longer story like this that can get all of the facts and the story and the timeline right. And so I think if you want, again, to catch up on what happened here, Go check out Engadget.com. Yep. The title or the headline for the story is What's Going On at Google AI. 
It's um, a good primer. Yeah. It's a very good primer. Uh, so another uh, the thing that was published this week was Nicole's review of the Amazon Echo Show 10. Uh, one of the Ooh. reasons I bring it up is because it's one of our few like big product <laughs> reviews this week. Um, uh-huh. And it is an interesting device. This is basically a smart display with a rotating, <laughs> like a swiveling right. base so that it will keep... The screen moves around, right? right to yeah. face you whenever you talk to it. So it doesn't matter where you are <laughs> related to the device itself. The screen will always face you. Uh, which can be good, like if you're if you have your um, smart display situated in like a kitchen on a kitchen island, and you're just like constantly walking around talking to it. Sure, it sure. could be very useful. Except for this is a two hundred and fifty dollars smart display uh, compared to Amazon's other smart display, the Echo Show Eight, which has very similar mm-hmm. features but is smaller and doesn't rotate, and it only costs a hundred and thirty dollars, so almost twice yeah, the price. They've pushed the cost down of these screens quite a bit. I think mm. the Echo Show 10 used to sell for like 200 when it initially came out, but mm. even then, 250 for a screen like this, like that's not that much. It's I'd say, not like, that expensive. Tech involved here. Yeah, yeah, especially um, when you consider that others in the space, let's say the Nest Hub Max, are what 399 or three and upwards. Um, so I understand that's still like Amazon's thing is still like more affordable than the competition, um, but. The the basically Nicole's review makes it pretty clear, like why or what are you getting, and and you know who would be the right person to buy this sort of a device. And to be clear, two fifty is still a good price. So my personal takeaway is that like if you're more in the Amazon ecosystem than you are anything else, this is probably more for you. And if you're in the Google ecosystem, then a Google Smart Display is probably more for you. Well, also, like, I think the question of uh, surveillance is, like, the big thing here, too. Like, that is always the trouble with the Echo and the show uh, mm. devices, anything with Alexa. But now this is one that can literally just follow you around the room. So you can't even, like, hide from it in certain <laughs> ways. So, you know, it's uh, it's up to you if you buy this. You kind of know what you're getting into if you buy something like this. But Amazon owns Ring. And one of our issues with Ring that we were talking about was those, like, surveillance and privacy issues mm. as well. Um I own Echo devices. Like I actually own the Echo Studio. I bought it last year. That's a $200 speaker that has some really good tech in there. So compared to something like the HomePod, you know, like Mm. I would rather invest in that. But I am also aware of the privacy concerns. Um, Any of these speakers are are tough. Would you buy this, Sherlyn? No, uh, (laughs) (laughs) because I only really have one or two smart displays. Both are Google just because Uh I, I like having my Google Photos display easily and I'm more in the Google ecosystem. Like I have a Chromecast, Google TV, that sort of thing. It just all works more seamlessly. You have the G tattooed on your arm. Like I get it. You love Google. J? Oh, G, yeah. The G. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The big G. But that's what what some of the uh, other teammates uh, at Engadget have been working on. Devendra, what about you? What have you been working on? Uh, I'm still working on the review for the MSI GS66 I've been talking about. It's taken a while because video has been tough. We, uh, I sent it to our video producer, Brian O, and uh, he just he couldn't get the game stuff working or the game capture. So we're going to have a video of that soon, but the actual review will be up later this week. Uh, I think it's notable for being one of the first 1440p uh, gaming laptops we've seen. Mm. Um, it has RTX 3080 in it. It's a cool laptop, but there are some issues. The fans are super, super loud. So 
my yeah reviews a little mixed on it. Um, I'm also planning for Microsoft Ignite, um, which is a pretty. It's more of like an industry focused uh, you know conference from them. That's where we learn more about what's coming next in Office and other uh, things like their mixed reality stuff. So we're going to be talking about a lot of that stuff for next week. Um, but yeah, Sherlyn, what is up with you? Um, so this week has been mostly like, you know, hitting the news that keep coming and, uh, my ThinkPad X1 Nano review finally went up so you can go check it out. Uh, long story short, it's a very light ThinkPad. Uh, (laughs) There you go. And, uh, I'm also getting in some pretty quirky products and devices Mm. Uh, those of you who enjoyed the mask phone little hands-on that I did a while back uh-huh. will enjoy what I've got coming up for you. Uh, but these are definitely under embargo. Well, some of them are under embargo, and I shall not say I would like to surprise y'all. But come back next week; there will be there will be fun stuff to see. Um, and then 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 some other stuff I still can't talk about. Oh, <laughs> so there we exciting. go. Lots of secrets. Let's move on to our pop culture picks. Um, Sherlyn, what do you have in store for us this week? So this week, I blame Valentina, our (laughs) commerce editor, for the YouTube hole I found myself in. All of this week, most of this week, I found myself catching up on YouTube tea, YouTube drama. And uh, (laughs) it was... I used to pay attention to beauty YouTube. So it would be like um, the whole Tati Westbrook, James Charles, and Jeffree Star, and Shane Dawson uh, controversy. I'm nodding. Yes, I know these names. Uh Uh-huh. You know this? Very good. I'm glad. No, I'm Oh, okay. Uh, (laughs) I was surprised. Didn't want to judge. Um, But the way I managed to catch up with uh, some of this stuff... Uh, is through a YouTuber called D'Angelo Wallace. D'Angelo Wallace is a uh, commentary YouTuber, and he is just really cogent and mm-hmm. so thoughtful about the videos he's put together. He has uh, two styles of videos. One are these 10-minute explainer-style videos, and really the very first video of his I watched that Valentina uh, introduced me to was his 10-minute sort of explainer of the Hilaria Baldwin incident. Yes, okay. A.K.A. the Hilaria Baldwin incident. Um, you need to explain what that incident from, is because I think it is one of the wildest uh, stories uh, of insane celebrity so culture hard. I've it seen ever. Me. Yeah? Totally. So Hilaria Baldwin or Hilaria Baldwin. <laughs> I don't even. Hilaria. We're just going to say Hilaria from here uh-huh. on. Hilaria Baldwin, originally Hil- Hilary Thomas, is most well known for being wife of Alec Baldwin, sure. and uh, yet there somehow she's she was born in Boston, uh-huh. grew up there more or less, but somehow managed decided halfway through that I love Spain. We just say I'm born in Mallorca, Spain, and uh, her family spends a lot of time in Spain, so that is her connection. There. That that's what she yeah. says. But then you will yeah. see multiple video clips of her saying she has <laughs> thirty five to forty family members from Spain, and she. Yeah. Grew yep. up in Spain, and then she mm. backpedaled and said she was spent some time or spent a lot of time in Spain. She went from saying her parents used to, like lived in Spain to visit Spain, yep. and like because the internet did what it did best, <laughs> which is to debunk yep. every one of those things. So anyway, if you want a good catch up on that little piece of internet drama, D'Angelo Wallace's video is actually really good. Very cool. 
Um, well, no, he, the drama is that she pretended oh, she was somebody with like a Spanish accent ex- in a way that helped her sell her crappy food I don't recipes even. and stuff better. Like it is talk about appropriation. She's like yeah, fully, fully. Yeah. As an immigrant, it hurt me to yep. to to yep. see this because as an immigrant who struggles with her own accent, to see someone adopt an accent and that that people who usually try to hide um, exactly yeah it, it was very insulting and uh she basically sometimes puts adopts a more spanish sounding accent and yep. forgets english words for common food items like cucumbers that she knows as a girl from boston yeah boston area yeah also yeah. Cucumber is a very common vegetable. It's not like <laughs> me and me and like Valentina were talking about this. We're like, it's not like it's an eggplant where there's three different words in three different what's languages. This, what's that word? Cucumber. Cucumber. Oh, this is there's okay. no different word Cucumber. in a different like anyway. But but D'Angelo anyway. Wallace breaks it down. <laughs> D'Angelo Wallace also like that's that's one style. The ten minute video. He also had a ten minute video on Soho Karen. Y'all should catch up on that too. Um, Which okay, Soho Karen okay. is the girl who lost her phone, thought it was a black oh, teenage yes, yes, boy okay. in a hotel yep. in Soho, New York, and tackled him. Uh, but yep. actually, she had left it in an Uber. Um, yeah, imagine that. But but the videos that I did get sucked into were the James, Char- the beauty YouTube community drama from <laughs> last year and the year before that, maybe. Um, and uh, he did hour long videos. Kind of explaining why each of these personalities is flawed and and unearths some really good information and presents very convincing mm-hmm. cases. Uh, D'Angelo Wallace himself won a streamy fairly recently for being one of the best commentary YouTubers, or actually was nominated for a streamy. My bad. Um, but just his videos are so well produced, so high quality, so well researched, and it's just put together. You can see so much time and effort went into them. The animations are great. The editing is great. His commentary is great. So mm-hmm. I respect the hell out of this this person. <laughs> um, so that's my pick. The other thing I did watch uh, this week was the uh, crime, this Netflix docu-series called Crime Scene, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. Division. Oh, yeah. Did you see oh, that one? Oh, boy. I've been, I mean, this is a story I've known about for a while. So yeah. to have a whole series devoted to like oh, this yeah. creepy hotel. This was the one where the girl, they found a girl yeah. who was in, in the water, the water tower and she yeah. was there for yeah. a while and people Oof. were drinking the water. 17 and, days. Like, mm. So this is about the disappearance of Elisa Lamb. Um, mm-hmm. the case at least that we were talking about. Uh, and I, I was very drawn to it, A, because she's an Asian girl and I'm an Asian girl. And I was like, oh no, I could end up in the water tank. But um b the the series though focuses on this hotel and like all of the things that have happened there richard ramirez stayed there while he was the night stalker i think that was his criminal name i I, it could be something else i forget who yeah which one he he could be the night stalker or the one of the many other criminal names anyway richard ramirez stayed there during his tenure as a killer, as a serial killer, um, there have been multiple suicides. It's just a very troubled hotel with a strange history. The Elise and this Lamb is one case. in like downtown LA, right? Which is yes. it's a there's some weird stuff there because oh, yeah. it's like Skid a hip Row. area at certain times, but also like yeah, it, it's Skid Row, and it's also like you can clearly see the dichotomy between very rich LA and very poor LA, yeah. and this hotel is just like situated amidst all of that. Um, yeah, I had some friends who I think 
tried to stay there for E3 or something um, one year. And they were like, I don't want to be in this building. We got to go somewhere else. So it's like it is one of those like heavy places where a lot of crap has gone down, apparently. Uh huh. Mmm. 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 Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Web sleuths, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen a bunch of this, by the way, and uh, I like the, they do focus on like the mental health aspect where I think part of it was, um, you know, the person who was in the water tower, like she was bipolar, she had issues and maybe there was a certain responsibility from the hotel to take care of her in a way, like just at least acknowledge the fact that she is going through something and it seems like the hotel just didn't. So yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff going on here. This is this was an intriguing case. It was a very interesting case, but uh, it does try to hit a lot of things, maybe too much, but it's engaging. Okay. I wanted to bring up a movie I saw on Hulu, something I've been looking forward to for a long time, and I think you'd really like it too, Sherlyn. Uh, it's by mm. Chloe Zhao, who is a Chinese-American director. She did The Writer a couple of years ago, and mm. this is a movie called Nomadland, um, it's about a woman played by Frances McDormand who loses everything after the Great Recession. Her husband passes away. She doesn't really have a job. Um, she gives everything up. She kind of sells whatever she does have to buy a van and live out of that van. It's about the community of people in America who choose to live like nomads, to travel around the country, to live in their either vans or RVs or whatever they whatever they have, uh, you know, gather at campgrounds, kind of form their own community um, of people who it seems like society has kind of let down in a way. And mm. uh, it's a tremendous movie. I love this movie a lot um, because it does really focus on something I'd say is like the ultimate failure of America, right? Like the, I think the immigrant story, you know, the story my parents believed when they came to this country was like, yeah, America's a land of possibility. It's a land of success. You work hard, you could get whatever, you know, whatever you deserve here. But Nomadland is like the story of people who did a lot of that work, you know, people who worked at company towns, they, you know, devote themselves to a single company. And the thing with the story is that she, uh, her character, uh, Fern, worked um, and lived at a place that was basically a company town. When the company went bankrupt, the town just disappeared. You know, the town's just gone because there's nothing else to support it. So it wasn't like uh, even like a legitimate uh, or like a city built up by a civil government or something. So she has no money. She has to go to Amazon, you know, shipping, you know, shipping factories to kind of get some work. She gets work doing all mm. sorts of things. It is about the struggle that a lot of people are facing in America, especially if you're older, you don't have retirement savings, um, you know, and the pressure of living a life in America is like, well, you got to have a house. You got to have, you know, a decent job. You have to have stuff. And this is a movie that's all about like what happens when you give up on that stuff in a way and kind of break free 
from the constraints of society. So it is a very, it's a feature, you know, it's a narrative feature, but it's also like semi-documentary because uh, Chloe Zhao brings in people from this nomad community who talk about their own lives and their own experiences and like add a layer of authenticity to the movie. Um, So yeah, it's a beautiful film. I highly recommend checking it out. Also check out The Writer, which is a movie she did about um, a Native American uh, rodeo writer who is coming to terms with the fact that if he could write or not. And that was played by non-actors, amateurs, but people who lived in that community. I love her movies because there's always like a li- there it's all about realism and authenticity almost semi-documentary like but also with a narrative that she wraps around it. Chloe Zhao like is on a on a roll right now cuz she's actually working on a Marvel movie. She's doing Immortals, which is the one um what's his face got beefed up for from Silicon Valley. Oh, um Silicon Valley. I, yeah, I yeah. know who you're talking about. Ah, I know exactly uh, who you're Kumail. talking about. Kumail Nanjiani. I'm trying to think like which Indian Kumail comedian Nanjiani, yeah. is he? Which is the other thing. Uh, <laughs> but Kumail, <laughs> who I love, um, I think is great, but he got super beefed up for this movie. I do wonder how like her sensibilities as like an artist, as somebody who cre- creates these like really realistic dramas, uh, is going to adapt to Immortals, you know, or like a Marvel Cinematic Universe thing. Uh, it'll be really interesting, but I think you should check it out also because, you know, shout out to somebody, an immigrant into this country who is telling stories about America in ways I think few American directors actually are. It's, she has such a great lens into this country. So I'd highly recommend Nomadland. It's on Hulu right now. I want to really quickly correct what we said, Kumail yep, Nanjani. Yep, yep, There's yep. three syllables to that name. That's it for our episode this week, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Devendra online at... At Devendra on Twitter. And uh, I talk about movies and TV at the Slash Filmcast at SlashFilm.com. If you want to send me tips about the hottest tea around YouTube, you can hit me up on Twitter at Sherlyn Lope. Email us your thoughts and feedback at podcastengadget.com. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts, including Spotify.